It's interesting, isn't it? It is, yes. Great comment. She, just every, she never thought that you could covet what you already have. Covet what you already have. So if you're, I think the way that uh, the young said it was, if you are unwilling to part with something that you have, so you cling to it, that, and and think about uh, Philippians 2, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but willingly gave up all things and became a servant of all. So just that, he had everything, and he was willing to give up the, the glories of heaven in order to save you. So like just letting go of the things that you have. Uh, it's not always easy, but that's it's true. You can covet those things. I mean, God takes them from us. Sometimes we don't even, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it, it, Lee, that is exactly right. And this is why we should be incredibly gracious with one another. And not judging. So, um, you know, be thankful for what you have, but it's it's kind of a in-the-minute situation. It, it, the issue, uh, I was talking earlier, Tanya, about you using the Lexus, and uh, just how there's a part of me that loved that Lexus. I think she, Tanya says, wow, Mike really likes this car, you know. So and after she's driven it for a while, she's like, yeah. So it's, it, there's a sense of you saying to yourself, ah, but I need that for my own happiness. And being willing to let that go is just a healthy thing. Uh, but it's not in every situation. You know, Tanya needed a house. I didn't leave my house and go live with the Ramazzinis so she could have my house, right? <laughs> so, so there's just, you know, it's like life is, it's a balance. You're trying to figure out what is, uh, what is necessary for you, how to receive with thanksgiving what God's given you, but to not make an idol of it. And that's just, that's a hard Hard balance, you know, when to let go of things. I don't have the answers, so, but I do know that you're, you can feel in your heart when you're just, you're clinging to it, and you think, oh, I gotta have this or I can't be happy. That's, that's how I would, I'd look at that heart attitude. Um. And it's just okay that you haven't fully figured it out yet. That's the thing that's just, I used to think, oh, I'm going to keep the Ten Commandments at age 25. I'm going to keep them. Well, yes, (laughs) but no. (laughs) Uh, So. That's right. That's your only hope, you know. But it is fun to dream about what life will be like when all of us are perfectly holy. What that will look like in the new heavens, new earth. And we do get a taste of it here and now as we bear each other's burdens, as we, we uh, try to do our own load. So, uh, 
<laughs> I really, I don't know exactly. I do know that we will still be interdependent on one another. Uh, and so how that will look in glory, I don't know. Uh, it won't be just, oh, no, I, I'll take care of it, just me and Christ. There'll still be this interconnection, loving each other, helping each other. So. Hmm. <clears throat> okay, so uh, Annalise and... Uh, Christian, would you come up here and just pass out these, um, this is uh, a summary of the Ten Commandments uh, that I thought that I would give to people, and then we, we'll take the last bit of our time and just walk through them quickly, uh, but remember how we talked about in the commandments the narrow sense and the broad sense with all of them? Right? Well, John Frame, I think, helps us with this. So when you get all these, I'll just, I'll, we'll just kind of walk through them. And I think it's a good thing to have. It's a good summary uh, as you look at the Ten Commandments. So the first commandment teaches us to worship only Yahweh, all right? So don't, don't worship false gods. Uh, but broadly, it teaches us that nothing is more important than him in every area of life. So narrow meaning, don't worship other gods, only, only Jesus, only the Trinity. But in broadly, God should be most important in every area of your life. Second commandment forbids us to make idols as objects of worship. So the narrow, you know, don't make an idol, don't make a picture don't, uh, of God. Broadly, it teaches us to live exclusively by God's revelation, right? So, that's the, so the broad is uh, God tells us how to worship, how he wants to be worshipped. That's the broad. The narrow, just don't make idols. The broad, let him instruct you how to worship. The third commandment teaches us to not use God's name irreverently or falsely. Broadly, so the narrow commandment, don't say GDU or Jesus Christ in a derogatory way or, you know, those kind of things. The narrow broadly forbids us um, to use, misuse anything in God's revelation. We should especially honor the name of Jesus, uh, but really to honor everything that God has given honor to. That's the broad. Um, oh, wait a minute. Third commandment, uh, use the name uh, irreverently. Broadly, it forbids us to misuse, uh, oh yeah, that's right, I'm sorry, I said it right. Fourth commandment tells us to observe one day in seven as God's holy day. Broadly, it tells us to use all of our time for his glory and to seek the fullness of redemptive rest in Christ. You can see the narrow and the broad. Fifth commandment tells us to honor our parents. Broadly, it tells us to honor all our authorities whom God has ordained, including God himself and Jesus as king. Sixth commandment tells us not to take innocent human life. Broadly, it tells us to honor the Lord of life and to bring all his 
uh, and to bring to all his promise of life. So you see how he puts the gospel message into the sixth commandment. Seventh commandment tells us to respect the marriage bed. Broadly, it calls us to be faithful to God as our holy husband, to Jesus Christ as the bridegroom of the church. Eighth commandment tells us not to take what belongs to others. Broadly, it warns us against taking to ourselves what belongs to God alone. Ninth commandment forbids us to distort the truth in order to hurt a neighbor. Broadly, it calls us to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, the true witness. And tenth tells us not to desire anything contrary to God's will. Broadly, it teaches us that all sin begins in the desires of the heart. I just thought that was a nice summary. So just for you to have, you know, just to think about. You might even use this kind of uh, list, you know, we talk about in preparation for communion to like search your heart for sin. This might be a helpful thing just to look at it and say, oh, okay, I may not be doing this, but I am doing that, right? And just uh, it's helpful. So just wanted to give that to you guys. Comments or questions on that or just... You know, and then we're, we're this is at the end here, and so I've given you any any questions you want to ask about anything regarding the Ten Commandments. You're you're open to do. Okay. The prevailing sentiment now in a non-Christian nation is to allow the government to issue the Ten Commandments, if you will. To, to issue them or to get sure. rid of them? Oh, to, to make their own Ten Commandments. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. And so I guess the question for you is, how do we as Christians live in a non-Christian nation in light of that? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. <clears throat> so... Uh, Inasmuch as the government doesn't call us to directly uh, disobey God, so in other words, uh, to, to obey the government should mean to obey God, but, but the more evil that a government becomes, and uh, even non-Christian governments are supposed to pr- uh, promote good, according to... Uh, Romans um, 13. So, in as much as the government tells us to do something that's not opposed to God's rule, then we should be okay with that, I think, to a large degree. But when the government begins to uh, impinge on worship, particularly, or call you to do something that is directly immoral against God, um then I believe you have a higher calling to obey God and go against the government. So, COVID was a good example of this. Um, initially, because COVID's a real thing, you know, we didn't have um, worship service, and we just worshiped online. But it was very quickly, um, in my heart, and I think in our session as well, that that my duty as a pastor is to preach the gospel to the gathered people of God. And it's not my duty to enforce you to come. 
<laughs> right? You have to kind of work through your own uh, issues on that. But it was my duty to be here. And so very quickly we began to say, okay, it's open to people coming. But if you don't feel comfortable coming because of safety issues and stuff, we were okay with that. We weren't judging you. But and then the government began to want to tell pastors that they couldn't do that. Well, that's when I would disagree. I would just say, this is my calling. I'm supposed to, you know, when, when the Sanhedrin called uh, the apostles to quit preaching the word, they said, are we going to obey you or are we going to obey God? You know, and so my calling was to do that. And I had to work that through in my own mind. At the same time, did I, when I went into the doctor's office or a grocery store, put on a mask if they mandated it? Yeah, I did. You know, I didn't, I didn't it, that wasn't hurting me at all. But when it came to the gospel, you know, um, so if, if you're going to call a doctor and tell the doctor that you have, uh, command him to have to uh, do something immoral in a procedure, then he should disobey, you know. Um, you know, you must uh, uh, do this abortion, for instance. Would be. <sighs> well, um, so the government is telling you uh, there must be this standard. And we are saying, no, there's an, there's an other standard. Okay, so um, in the, the time of Paul, there were cult prostitutes, right? So in order to worship God, you, you had to embrace cult prostitution, right? So, uh, and you also had to worship the Roman gods if you wanted to do business. So they had this situation where the government standard was very different than the standard of the Christians. So I think one aspect of what we do is we cannot give up the standard. We cannot quit saying that, th- that homosexuality is wrong. And that God will judge homosexuality. We have to continue to be vocal. And if the government decides to then say to Mike Thompson, I'm going to put you in jail for that, I have to be willing to take that. Now that scares me to death, not because I care about myself going to jail, but that means implications for Robin and Jenny, right? So it it is scary. But you can't stop saying what's true. Okay? At the same time... um, we are not saying to the individual who is dealing with homosexuality, oh, you better get your act straight together before you come to us. Because we're all sinners, and the gospel is God goes to the sinners while you're still a sinner and helps you, right? So you have to, so we, it is a hard you know, trying to present, we are not going to bow on the standard. This is the standard. And yet at the same time, to reach out to and to love even those who are caught up in the standard. So for instance, in our, let's say a homosexual couple decides to come into our doors and sit under my preaching. We're going to shun them? I shouldn't, right? Um, my preaching, I'm not going to try to compromise my preaching. You comment. 
correct. That's true. That's absolutely true. So we can't compromise the standard because we didn't come up with the standard. It's God's standard. And we can't bend on the standard. Uh, But we can't bend on the standard in any area. You know, any of the Ten Commandments, right? It's not. So there's a sense of uh, trying to minister to the individual. And I would argue that um, they want us to accept this standard so they can accept that individual. I would say that mercy, you can only have mercy if someone has fallen short of the standard. If you remove the standard, you no longer need mercy. Do you get that? So I've had this conversation with people who are struggling with homosexuality. I'd say, yeah, there are people that want to tell you that they're being merciful to you by changing the standard. I disagree. There's no mercy if you just accept that it's okay. It's, that's, there's no mercy. But if you say, no, it's wrong, and you don't meet the standard, but God can give mercy if you repent, trust in Christ, uh, then there's, there's mercy and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Go and sin no more. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Because God is calling us. The standard is not some external standard to God himself. So God is the standard. So he can't, he can't call you to himself and as if the standard is over here. By calling you to himself, he's calling you to the standard. That's, that's what it is. And that's actually my hope. So I, if I were talking to a homosexual, I'd say, I don't know if I understand why you struggle with this particular sin, and I don't. Could have been me. I don't know all the factors that went into that. I can tell you this, people don't wake up one day and just say, you know, I think, I think I'll become a homosexual. They have certain urges and desires, and sometimes the society tells them to feed those. And so, you know, they have their own responsibility, it's there. But, but the sense that, that, that I'm better than them, no. But I say that, you know, I have to fight against my particular sins too. And, and when I don't fight against them, and I've chosen to indulge in those sins... I deserve condemnation just like you. I'm not telling you anything that I'm not telling myself. Might be a different area that we're struggling with, but it's still, we're just, we need Christ. And so at the one hand, um, I don't have any problem with the society condemning me because I'm going to hold to that standard. We should be ready for that. On the other hand, If we cave, we are not helping anyone. Because if God is going to take the person who's in an unrepentant state in homosexuality and then brings them into a saved state, they're going to actually have to recognize that that sin was sin and want to be out of it, right? So that's what's got to happen. Well, if we tell them, no, you don't have to be out of it, we're not helping them. We're actually condemning them. 
We're actually helping them go to hell, which is not a good thing. And, and I have explained this to several people over the years, and they don't always like it. They still up, get upset at me, but they've said to me things like, well, that's what the Bible says, <laughs> you know, or, or I know that you're not just trying to look down on, upon me. That's all, you're, that's all you can do. You just, I mean, we're, we're pointing people to Christ and the need for a Savior. So, and the reality is, if somebody chooses to come out of that lifestyle, they could, by God's grace, give, be given an immediate change of desires. God has the ability to change their desires immediately. But, has he automatically changed all of your desires in every area against sin? Or have you had to struggle against certain sins your whole life? Puritans used to call them besetting sins. So I would tell someone who's struggling with homosexual desires, I can't guarantee when God's going to free you from those, but I know you're to fight against them, to repent against them, to cling to him, to help you, to realign your mind according to his will. But if you have a lifelong struggle, I will stay with you all the way. I'm not going to abandon you because you still have struggles 10 years later, 15 years later with these issues. I mean, it's entirely possible for someone to get married and move on and, and yet still have these desires within them. And we need to help them to keep fighting against them, to keep looking to the promises and not immediately condemn them because they have those desires. I don't know if that's helping you, Clark, but uh, there's, it's a balance. You cannot just say it's okay. Um, stand up strong and say, no, I, I think it's evil. It's wrong. So. Anybody else? Last word? All right. Uh, next week, because Danny's still on vacation, uh, we're going to be in the book of Numbers. Uh, I think you're probably going to be surprised at some of the lessons that we learn from Numbers. Uh, and I, you will not offend me if I lose 80% of my class when Danny starts his class on eschatology. That's okay. <laughs> um, so, but we'll start with Numbers next week. So, and in fact, if 80% of the class wants to go to Danny's class, then maybe I'll move to the Fellowship Hall and let you guys stay here. Uh, but we're going to be in Numbers uh, for the ensuing uh, months. So, Okay. Clark, would you close us in prayer?